Isn't it amazing what Christ went through for us? Not only the cross, but everything that led up to that in the hours before. Such an extraordinary price that he paid for us. And if someone says, why did Christ die for us? Our answer as evangelical Christians is that he died to pay the price for our sin. And that is correct. But there's more to the answer than just that. My only sibling is a brother 11 years younger than me. I don't have to tell you with that math, he was a surprise. (laughs) And because there was so much difference in our ages, I was involved in his upbringing until I left for college. All the way through his preschool years. And a memory that I have very vividly, a most aggravating memory that I have very vividly of him is during the years approximately three and four, he would question everything he encountered with why. So we'd be driving along in the car And he would, out of the blue, no pun intended to what I'm about to say, out of the blue, he would say, why is the sky blue? And, you know, for a three-year-old or a four-year-old, you're like, okay, the science isn't going to make any sense here. And so our answer would be something like, because that's the color God made it. That's not satisfying to my brother. And he would say, why? And we would say, well, because that's the color that God decided that he wanted the sky to be. Why? Well, and you see where this conversation is going. I mean, why after why? It didn't matter what our answer was to each succeeding question. It was always another why. This morning, I want us to think about why did Jesus have to die? And I want to take a step further back or a step a little deeper beyond he died to pay the price for our sin, which is true, okay? But why was that necessary? That's the question I want us to to look at. Why was it necessary and why did the Father choose to have Christ die for our sins? When Paul was writing the church in Corinth, 
he encapsulated his gospel in the first few verses of chapter 15, and he started that summary of his entire gospel message with the statement in verse 3, for what I received I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And we see that testified to and documented throughout the New Testament from one end to the other, and not just the New Testament, even back in the Old Testament, such as the passage from Isaiah 53 that you just heard read a moment ago. Peter, in 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree by his wounds, you have been healed. But how are we going to unpack the meaning and the wherefore and the why behind that statement that Christ died for our sins, as Scripture attests to? So I want us to start by thinking about three characteristics of God or three character traits of God. The first is that God is holy. That means that he is perfect, that he cannot sin, and that he is not even able to abide in the presence of sin. God is perfectly pure always has been from all eternity and always will be throughout eternity to come. Never will he do anything wrong. Secondly, God is love. God is holy, but he is also love. It is his essential nature. It is who he is. He cannot act in an unloving way. 1 John 4 verses 8 and 16 both say God is love. Now let me ask you, has anybody ever said that about you? I haven't said it about me. Now, someone may say, you are such a loving person. Or they may say, your heart is just so full of love for people. You care so much for others. They may describe you with the word love as an adjective. But I would guess no one has ever said, you are love. That's what Scripture says about God. He is love. It is His very being to be love. And so that means that there is nothing that He can do or will ever do that is not loving. Now, we may not always understand why things happen the way they do. And from a human limited perspective, we may question events and occurrences and circumstances in life. 
But just as the child may question why their parent doesn't let them have all the candy they want, so too there's nothing that God does that isn't birthed out of a loving nature and a loving care and concern for us. And then the third aspect of God's nature that I want us to think about in this formula we're about to put together is that God is just. He is just. He always does what is right and fair. He cannot act in an unjust way. Again, we may not always perceive it, understand it, or see it, but we can be assured from the testimony of Scripture that everything that happens is always a matter of God seeing that justice is served. So we take those three components holy, loving, and just, and we put them into a formula that might be diagrammed like this. I pick on Nathan. I don't have his artistic skills, but this is as good as it gets for me, Nathan. I'm sorry. Uh, But each of these three aspects of who God is operate in a perfect balance with each other. Just as God himself is perfect, these three characteristics always operate within God's nature in a perfect balance with each other. One never overrules the other. One never gets out of hand. One never gets forgotten. God is always acting in this perfect balance of his nature. So uh, another way to look at that balance would be like this, if we can see the next illustration there. God's holiness demands justice for sin. And God's justice is always balanced by his love. And his love is always balanced by his holiness and justice. Again, this is always playing out in a perfectly balanced and complementarian way. So, if we accept from Scripture this description of who God is and how God operates and functions and lives, then the next step perhaps for our understanding would be to ask the question, how does this then relate to us? What does this mean for us? Well, Isaiah 59.2 says, your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. So we could illustrate what this verse is saying this way. There we go. The holy God wants to relate to his creation 
that he lovingly and purposely made. But sin has broken that relationship and created a barrier between us and God. And like Isaiah just said in the verse we just read, our sin means that he can't even look upon us or listen to us because that relationship that we were created for has been broken. Now, some people might ask then, well, are are you talking about me? Surely you're not talking about me. But Romans 3.23 says that all, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Who does all include? All! Every person in the sound of my voice in this room, over the internet, and even beyond, every person who will never hear my voice, Scripture says that we have all sinned and fallen short of who God is as a perfect, holy God. And 1 John 1.8 says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. I have actually heard people with my own ears, I have heard their own mouth say, I have never sinned. And John says they are self-deluded. They are deceived. They are wrong. We have all sinned. See, the problem with this idea of being a sinner or sinning is too many people don't really understand what that is and what that means. It doesn't mean you're an axe murderer. It doesn't mean that you ought to be locked up by the authorities if they catch you and they're going to throw away the key. It simply means this. Sin is putting myself in the place of God. Sin is when I decide it's going to be my way, like Frankie said, it's going to be my way instead of God's way. And anytime we decide it's going to be my way instead of God's way, we are thumbing our nose at God, rejecting his purpose and his plan for us. And Scripture says that that is sin, and that breaks our relationship with him. So we all sin. We are all separated from God. But despite that, God has another plan. And Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God was not willing to let us go our own way and be done with us, even though we deserved that he would just wipe his hands and move on. And so God desired to find a way to be reconciled with his creatures. And so in our illustration, 
this is how I have pictured it, that despite the sin that is separating us from God, God is desirous of a reconciliation with us and seeks to effect that reconciliation. But there's a problem that stands in the way of this. It isn't just a matter of saying, ah, boys will be boys, girls will be girls, let's just chalk it up to experience and forget all about it and and wrap arms around each other and sing Kumbaya. It doesn't work that way because remember our third characteristic of God that we talked about. We said God is holy, God is loving, and the third characteristic is God is just. So Romans 3, 25 and 26 says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Now we get to the crux of the matter of our question today. Why did Jesus have to die? Because of God's holiness and the sin that separates us from him, and his love for us, the desires to be reconciled despite that sin, but the demand for justice to be served. Because when God created man, God told him, if you sin, you will die. Someone must die. The problem is finding that someone. Because if Andy were to come to me and say, Mark, I've heard there's a death penalty on your head. And Mark, because I love you so much. You do love me so much, don't you? Okay. We'll get together and sing Kumbaya after church, okay? Andy says, Mark, because I love you so much, I'm willing to take your death penalty for myself. I would say, Andy, I had no idea you felt this way about me. It's wonderful. But Andy, there's a problem. Andy, you've got your own death sentence. What are we going to do? And that's where Christ enters the picture. Coming to earth as the Son of God, perfect, pure, holy, without sin, living a sinless life, and then going to the cross to pay the price that we owed in our stead. I remember when I was a kid, I was probably about 
10 years old, maybe 11, you, you wouldn't dream of doing this today, what I'm about to describe for you. You parents are going to gasp with horror when I tell you what happened to me at about 10 years old. We lived in Laverne, just outside Nashville. I had a whole lot of relatives in Indianapolis, and I wanted to go spend a couple of weeks with my grandmother and other relatives in Indianapolis, and my parents put me on a bus all by myself to ride between Nashville and Indianapolis. Can you imagine? And there was one hitch in the get-along because my parents could put me on the bus on one end and my relatives could pick me up on the bus on the other end, but I had to change buses in Louisville all by myself. And we had a little bit of a layover and I was hungry, and they had a cafeteria. I went in the cafeteria to see if I could find something to eat, and they had some fried chicken. Oh, it smelled good. It looked good. I sound like Andy Griffin down there. Good. And I got me a chicken leg, put it on my plate on my tray, and went to the end of the food server, aisle and the cashier was standing there and she said that'll be a dollar and one cent you know how much money I had I had one dollar I did not have one cent I'm standing there this lady is standing there And she was not going to let me have it. You got to pay up, kid. And we're both standing there in a stare down. There's a man standing behind me observing all this. And he reaches into his pocket and pulls out a penny. And he pays the price for my chicken leg. That man is immortalized in my memory to this day. He's my hero. Christ paid a debt he did not owe. He paid a debt we could not pay so that we might be restored to the relationship with our loving, loving Heavenly Father that we were created for in the beginning. And so in our illustration, the cross has covered our sin. And now when God looks at Christ, He sees Christ's instead of our sin. Romans 5.2 says, Through Christ we have gained access by faith into this grace 
in which we now stand. Through Christ, through Christ, we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. So, next illustration, Christ has opened the way for us to connect with God, to be related to God, to be reconciled to God, to be restored to God through the cross. Despite the demand for justice, despite our lack of holiness, despite our sinfulness, because of God's lovingness, we are reconciled to him. So back to our triangle. God is. God is holy. God is loving. God is just. And because of those three things... It resulted in his purpose and plan to send his perfect sinless son to pay the price for our sin, to die in our place, that we could know the holiness of God, that we could experience his love all the while the justice for our sin has been served. So one last sentence that we close with. Christ's death demonstrates God's love for us by paying the penalty for our sin, satisfying God's justice, and reconciling us to a holy God. Holy, loving, just. That's the God we serve. That's the God who has saved us. That's the God who was not going to let anything, no amount of sin and corruption in us was going to stand in his way of providing a way for us to be reconciled to him. But now there's the final catch. This is not a hammer that you get slugged in the head with. This is not a drink that somebody holds you down and forces your mouth open so that someone can pour the drink down your throat against your will. You have to desire to be reconciled to your Father, your Heavenly Father. You have to open your heart and by an act of faith, trusting in who Jesus is as God's perfect Holy Son, and believing and trusting in what he did for you 
by dying on the cross to pay the debt that you could not pay, that justice might be served in God's eyes. If you believe that, if you trust that, if you're willing to commit your heart and life to that, Jesus says, come. Come. My arms are open, wide, ready to receive you, embrace you, love you, and give to you everything that God created you for in the beginning. The choice is ours. Are we going to respond to his invitation? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that when there was no way, you made a way. I thank you that when we were at our worst, you still desired our best. Lord, I thank you and I praise you for who you are as our holy, loving, just Heavenly Father. And I thank you, Jesus, for the price that you paid so that we might be saved, redeemed, and delivered from our sin and the price of our sin so that we might live in a perfect relationship with you for all eternity. And now, Lord, I ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would speak to each of our hearts that if anyone is here who has never responded to your invitation, that today might be the day. There will never be a better day. And for some, one, there may never be another day. Lord, may today be the day that we respond to you and your offer of salvation. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.